takes, not hot takes. This is Everyone is Wrong, a counterintuitive pop culture podcast. I'm your host, Seth Sommerfeld. Thanks for listening. My guest today is a true trans soul rebel, a pun meme connoisseur, and my wrestling watching tag team partner. She is coming off the top rope today to defend Baron Corbin, a heel WWE superstar that pretty much everyone has hated for various reasons since the moment he started showing up on our TVs. Everyone is wrong, but Allison McManus isn't. Thanks for coming on, Allison. Thank you, Seth, for having me. That was a pretty good intro there. I try. I try to be, have a little bit of creativity, and I don't run them by people, so it's right. always a surprise. <laughs> I'm excited to do this because we've only done film so far, and it's really not intended to be a film podcast. It's just very easy <laughs> for people to get their head around the concept when discussing a film, but having a person as an everyone is wrong, is very fun to me. Well, especially when it comes to sports and wrestling, it's easy to definitely want to defend someone that maybe not everyone likes. I mean, there's a lot of wrestlers out there that obviously people don't like for particular reasons that <laughs> may or may not be terrible people. Or Right. Have... There's various, there's, there's essentially, there's three tiers of wrestling people that people don't like. There's people that they just think are bad. Uh, which is what like Baron Corbin falls into more or less. There's the people that are heels, which is like the wrestling term for bad guys, which Corbin also is. But those are the people you're not supposed to like, but and boo because they're the bad guys. But that's good that they're doing it. And then there's the people that are just uh, scumbags, <laughs> and there's plenty of them in the wrestling business. But Baron Corbin does not seem to be one of them. Seems no, <laughs> personally, he seems like very good guy from everything I've seen. Right. From he has a lot of outside. He does a lot of the up, up, down, down stuff, and especially with Tyler Breeze and him, used to have a Twitch channel, so they seemed very personable guys. And that actually is what really sold me on Baron Corbin as a person because I've watched him as Thomas. I can't remember how to pronounce his last name. Who is was his real? You know, his walk around wallet name is right. So but, yeah, let's get into the background of Baron Corbin. Baron Corbin is a professional wrestler who can be currently seen every week on World Wrestling Entertainment's Friday night Fox program, SmackDown. The 36-year-old Corbin is billed at 6 foot 8 inches tall and 285 pounds. His career achievements include winning the King of the Ring tournament, a Money in the Bank match, the United States Championship, an Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royale, and he served as general manager of Monday Night Raw. Born Thomas Pestock, he had an athletic background before he ever stepped into the wrestling ring. He was a two-time regional gold gloves champion boxer. He played college football as an offensive guard at Northwest Missouri State University, and he spent three years in the NFL training camps as an undrafted free agent with the Indianapolis Colts and the Arizona Cardinals from 2009 to 2011. In August 2012, he signed with WWE's developmental brand, NXT. After debuting as a face, aka a good guy wrestler, he soon turned heel, aka became a bad guy wrestler, and he's kind of been there ever since. He adopted the quote-unquote lone wolf gimmick, which was sort of an arrogant biker persona. Uh, he came to the ring in like metal clothes with like a vest and black and had stringy long hair. Despite possessing 
some devastating moves like his finisher, The End of Days. He could never get over the hump in NXT in terms of the pre-scripted storylines. He lost many number one contenders matches to the likes of Sami Zayn, Samoa Joe, Apollo Crews, and Aaron Neville, a.k.a. Pac from All Elite Wrestling. He and thrown-together tag team partner Rhino lost in the final of the first Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic to Finn Balor and Samoa Joe. So he was kind of pushed a little bit in NXT, but never really got to the heights of that promotion. He then made his main roster debut on April 3rd, 2016 at WrestleMania 32, where he won the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royale on his first night in the bigs. In his first year, he had feuds with Dolph Ziggler and Kalisto and even got a WWE Championship title shot by the end of the year in a triple threat match against Ziggler and champ AJ Styles. AJ Styles won that match by pinning Ziggler. In 2017, Corbin won the Money in the Bank match, which is a ladder match where at the top there is a briefcase and whoever wins it can cash in that briefcase for a world title shot at any moment, even mid-match or after somebody was beaten or whenever. So he had this guaranteed WWE championship shot whenever he chose. Unfortunately, he cashed it in on then-champ Jinder Mahal and was quickly distracted by John Cena on the apron, leading to an embarrassing roll-up pin by Jinder. Corbin would go on to lose a revenge match to Cena at SummerSlam. That August, he challenged for the United States title in a triple threat against AJ Styles and Ty Dillinger, a.k.a. AEW Sean Spears. And Corbin won that match, winning his first and only WWE title to date by pinning Dillinger. He eventually dropped the belt to Dolph Ziggler in another triple threat match alongside Bobby Roode at Clash of Champions. Moving on to 2018, in June, Commissioner Stephanie McMahon appointed Corbin as a pseudo-authority figure on Monday Night Raw, dubbing him Constable Corbin. He shaved his head and started dressing in dress clothes with a kind of goofy vest, a different kind of goofy vest. He's a very into vests. And in August, he replaced Kurt Angle to become the general manager of Raw, Basically, the authority figure that everybody had to deal with, and he was just a bad guy doing that. During this period, he feuded with Angle, Finn Balor, and Braun Strowman, eventually losing his GM power. At Fastlane 2019, Corbin teamed with Bobby Lashley and Drew McIntyre in a six-man tag loss to The Shield, a vaunted trio of WWE stars in their final match. In a controversial move later that year, Corbin was booked as Kurt Angle's final opponent at WrestleMania 35 and beat the Hall of Famer to retire him. Corbin worked his way up to become the number one contender for Seth Rollins' Universal Championship, but failed to win multiple matches for the title. In 2019, Corbin won the King of the Ring tournament, and that centered around a feud with him and Chad Gable. After winning, Corbin adopted the King Corbin gimmick and unfortunately bestowed Gable with the Shorty G gimmick, which made fun of his size. He feuded with Roman Reigns for a while, including a 2020 Royal Rumble match. 
but mostly has been holding down the heel mid-card spot ever since, feuding with the likes of Rey Mysterio, who he actually threw off a building at 2020's Money in the Bank, and currently is feuding with Shinsuke Nakamura as we record this. So that gets us up to date with the wrestler, but we really haven't tackled the key point, which is that people do not like Baron Corbin. In general, he's routinely booed in front of any live crowd. He's been widely criticized among the internet wrestling committee for being boring, hacky, a mediocre wrestler, that most people don't get excited when he's in big matches. Pro Wrestling Illustrated named him as the most hated wrestler of the year in 2018, I believe. The Wrestling Observer Newsletter Reader Poll voted him as the most overrated wrestler in 2018 and 2019, adding the indignity of tabbing Constable Corbin as the worst gimmick of 2018. Even in-house, WWE named him as the most hated wrestler of 2018 at their year-round awards. He is not beloved by Dave Meltzer, a wrestling journalist who gives out star ratings to matches. Meltzer rates matches traditionally on a 0-5 to star scale, with 5 stars being excellent among the best matches of all time. Corbin has never even achieved a 4 star single match, according to ProFightDB. All of his matches that have higher than 4 ratings are either multi-man matches or Royal Rumbles. So is two highest that aren't Royal Rumbles, which you shouldn't count because he does even less than those, are 4.5 stars for his Money in the Bank win and 4.5 stars for the six-man Shield finale match. Corbin spawns articles from internet wrestling writers like the Sportster's Five Ways We Hated Baron Corbin More as the Constable and Five Ways That the King is Worse. So just saying his gimmick was terrible and here's how his new gimmick it might even be worse than his old gimmick. Or Bleacher Report having an article, Baron Corbin versus Shane McMahon, who is WWE's most unlikable star right now? And the crowd also, as I said, don't respect him, but also come prepared to not respect him. I noted when I was rewatching the Money in the Bank match that he won, as soon as he won, somebody already had a Boren Corbin it's like boring Corbin sign ready to hold up because people just aren't on board. On the other hand, there are some people that support Baron Corbin beyond Allison. The same year Pro Wrestling Illustrated named him the most hated wrestler, he also finished number 39 on their PWI 500 ratings of the top professional wrestlers. And Revolver Magazine once named him the most metal athlete. It's interesting he beat Chris Jericho for that one. <laughs> Who is actually like a metal Jericho, singer. It, it, yeah, well. <laughs> Metal-ish. There have also been Corbin defenders like Graham GSM Matthews, who posted the question, has Baron Corbin become WWE's greatest pure heel of the last few years? Or Daily DDT's Kevin Parisi, who wrote a story titled Baron Corbin's blandness is deceptively brilliant. I mean, he must be doing something right enough to still be in WWE. Right. He must be pleasing at least Vince McMahon enough. <laughs> right. And some Twitter user named at Seth Sommerfeld wrote on January 4th, 2019 <laughs> whispers. 
if we're talking about each company's main heel heat magnet, I prefer Baron Corbin to Jay White, hashtag NJWK13. Though in fairness, Jay White's actually been a lot better since then. I like Jay White as a heel more now than I did then. But I also, that's giving a, showing my hand a bit that I do think Baron Corbin is effective as a heel. So, Allison, why is everyone wrong about Baron Corbin? Well, I think you touched, especially you're talking about the end of days. It's literally the most protected finisher in WWE. So, yeah, we should describe for those who aren't maybe wrestling fanatics. The finisher is just the big move to end any match. Usually it's if the guy hits it, usually he'll win the match. So like the rock had the rock bottom and And Stone Cold Cold had the Stone Cold Cold stunner and Hulk Hogan had the big leg drop. So as wrestling has progressed, there's been, especially in the past few years, as there's been more like indie wrestling influences, a lot more guys kick out of the big finishers, especially in the big matches. So like Brock Lesnar's F5 used to be the most devastating move, but if he's going against a super guy like a John Cena or Roman Reigns, they might kick out of that like two or three times yeah. in the course of a match. But as you were saying, Baron Corbin, the end of days, which is basically, it's like an inverted sitting STO. It's like if somebody grabbed you by the shoulders and then that person bent down to like in a seated chair position and then fell backwards. So your face would hit the mat. Yes. That move has never been kicked out of in the WWE. And that includes NXT, which is there. We talked about their, their feeder league to, or their, what's the word they use? Developmental brand, I believe. Yes. AKA the triple a of, if we're talking about major league baseball, it's either where they put people to who are their training to be, you know, just like get their reps in and get their reps in in front of a TV audience. Or it's when they sometimes sign a free agent from Japan or an indie wrestling thing to get them. They might already have enough name credential to just go straight to the main roster, but they want them to get time to build up their clout with a WWE audience or train them to work in a more WWE style of wrestling or cut promos better or something like that. And no one has kicked out of it in the entire time Baron Corbett's been a professional wrestler. Right. And there are very few, as I was saying, there's very few moves that still are protected in WWE, especially there's only a few, I think that never were kicked out of even across like other promotions. I was looking it up like, Kenta Kabashi's Burning Hammer was never kicked out of, but he only used that like a handful of times. Razor Ramon's Razor's Edge was never kicked out of. And then I think as far as current WWE talent goes, I don't think Randy Orton's punt has been kicked out of, but that's not his main finisher. That's like when it's getting really brutal and he uses it for certain storylines. I don't think anybody's kicked out of the Black Mass on the main roster. I feel like some, they might've in the NXT, which is Alistair Black's spinning kick finisher. Because it's a pretty big deal though. Like we talked about, if your finisher hasn't kicked out of like, it means something. It used to mean something too, a lot more. So it's interesting that they're still going old school and keeping their heels main finisher being that protected. And it just looks, I mean, part of the reason it just looks really cool. Right. It's a very cool, like some of the finishers that people have are just not cool. I think of like, 
Bailey has at times just used an elbow drop that's not a very good elbow drop as her finisher, and other times was just a belly-to-belly suplex. And it was just her finisher because belly-to-belly or belly to belly sounds sounds, yeah. sounds good. So it's like, oh, that's that's fun. And that's something you can do. I mean, and the end of days is a cool name for a move too. Like it has the whole aura of everything you want from a finishing move. Right. It looks cool. The name is cool. Like, yeah. Like when there's Corbin merch, oftentimes it'll say like end of days on it because it's just like, oh, yeah. that's even looks cool. And it's got all the aspects to be a really great finisher. It It is a little telling, though, like one of the ways that it is protected is, oh, you've had all these title matches and you've never it's never been kicked out of, which means he's never even got it off in a lot of his big title matches, which is one of the ways to protect a move like that. But right. it is also telling that the company WWE is like on board enough with him to be like, OK, yeah, we will protect this and we won't have. Roman Reigns kick out of it in this match and he's hit it on you know people like some of the bigger stars but it's usually in like the warm-ups or it's the the tag match before the big pay-per-view and he hits it on Samoa Joe and pins him or something like that not he uses it in a devastating way that doesn't always end up with him being the coming out as the champion I thought it was interesting, though. I never saw the follow-up to this, but did you see that Evil Uno from AEW claimed to have invented the end of days? Yes, I, there there was a recent, I think it was last year, that Evil Uno, who's one of the wrestlers in All Elite Wrestling, claims that he invented the move in, in, the, in the indie scene, which possibly, but also Baron Corbin was never an indie wrestler. So yeah. he definitely didn't, it would have... It's unlikely that Baron Corbin is the first person to ever do this move, but it's also, I think, a little disingenuous to be like, yeah, you definitely stole this because right. it's a move yeah. that could have been like very easily parallel thought. and Or if Baron Corbin had just been an indie guy fighting Evil Uno when he was on the indies, then it would make a lot more sense than kind of the structure that it was presented in. And then STO is a pretty common move, and there's very there's lots of variations of it. So the fact that they've come to that same type of variation would not be shocking. I mean, there's only so many ways you can make do different moves. So right, wrestling's come to the point in the past few years where there's been so much more athleticism now, and so much more kind of people that are able to do different things. That when you do see a new move, you're like, oh my gosh, what what was that? And it's very cool. Like a couple weeks ago, Tony Storm had a new finisher in NXT that was like this spinning cradle DDT. And it was like, whoa, like I texted you and it was like, yeah. look at this move. Like I haven't seen this before. And the thing about, so that was going to be my second point is Baron Corbin's move set in general is actually pretty good for a big man. Right. So a lot of the criticisms of Corbin are just the within the ropes things of like people don't like how he wrestles or don't think it's very exciting or don't like his matches. But you and I both agree on this point that his move set is actually really has a lot of really interesting things and is a lot better than people give it credit for and is a lot better than a lot of people on the roster who 
are more beloved. Like his move set's a lot cooler than Randy Orton's move set. <laughs> Apologies to our to to your friend Ryan with that one. Yes. But yeah, and he doesn't get called an athletic big man, but he's actually a pretty decently athletic big man. Like his moves, like he can go off the ropes. Like he doesn't do many top rope maneuvers. He could. I mean, he's not doing flips and stuff, but he still can run pretty fast in the ring, can do a lot of stuff in the ring. Right. Part of it is within the past probably five or six years, a lot that indie wrestling influence is a lot more of the big guys even are high flyers and super athletic. Somebody like Keith Lee is flying over the top rope or even Roman Reigns dives over, can like dive over the top rope or big guys trying to hit, you know, moonsaults and things like that, that having a more ground-based offense like Corbin is it's really more of a throwback he almost has like an 80s style offense but with some really sweet moves beyond just the end of days thrown in there yeah like the deep six so yeah the deep six is essentially like he gets a guy up on his shoulder and it's sort of like a spinning power bomb, but it's a very fluid move and it happens like the guy will be running off the ropes and he catches lifts and spins and slams all in one thing. And it's a move that's cooler than most people's finishing move. And it's n- not even a finishing move for him. I think he's maybe won like one or two matches I've ever seen with that move. But he's at, le- he's at least won it with a couple matches, which is more than most people's setup moves. But it's a rad move. I was just checking his height. Yeah, he's six six. Randy Orton's six five. So you can definitely compare them, like, right move set wise. He's listed at six eight. That's another thing. Wrestling, they lie about. Oh yeah, their... he's listed at six eight. He's listed he's at six eight. He's like six five. Wrestlers are almost universally shorter. The, some of the tall guys are taller, but a lot of the wrestlers are much shorter than you think they are. Even if you think they're short, they like. Oh, no, that's it's like a David Stockton situation where you're like, oh, you think he's short. He's shorter than you think. But he Baron is. Corbin is legitimately tall. He's tall. Yes, he he was. I mean, he's an NFL guy who was trying out for an NFL offensive line. They don't make yeah. those guys very short and compact. I mean, he's taller than Brock Lesnar. So, right. And he looks it in the ring, but he's not. Yeah. And he's also not. He's tall, but slender. He's not a he doesn't look like a monster in the ring. Which right, probably we'll, we'll get into strumming. that. Yeah, we'll get into that, and in, I think a different one of your topics. But uh, yeah, what what other aspects of the move set really stick out to you? Uh, well, I've seen it. Like I couldn't remember exactly which match it is, and I went to his the wrestling that has the wrestling fandom wiki that has all the move sets. But he did it. He's done a choke slam backbreaker a few times. Oh yeah, yeah. He's he's incorporated that a few times, and it's it's very cool too. Yeah, apparently it was called the Black Hole Sun at one point, which I thought, dang, he just has cool names for moves. Yeah, he really does. <laughs> like, Deep Six, End of Days, Black Hole Sun. It's like very rocker, but in the way that like WWE, normally when they try to do that stuff, it sounds cheesy. And his like persona matches those type of moves in a way that works out. Yeah, like he's just, and we talk about athletic, like he can go off the ropes, he can hit people. And I think that really, it plays into the fact that if you were doing a creative wrestler and it wasn't Baron Corbin, but he used all of his moves, like you would want that guy to be like 
yeah, he has a lot of really cool creator wrestler moves. If you're if you were if you could port his moves into like WWE No Mercy and just like you'd be like, Oh yeah, end of days is sweet. I'm definitely getting deep six, you know. Also, there's a there's one move that he does where he is like headed towards the turnbuckle inside the ring and slides out, like just slides out of the ring, goes runs around the turnbuckle and slides back in and then hits a clothesline that's so fluid for a guy his size and works so much better than some of the other moves of that sort. Like it's a lot cooler than uh, Dean Ambrose, now John Moxley and also Kyle Riley do this sort of cartoony thing where their quick clothesline is they'll fall back along the ropes and it'll like, bounce them back like a cartoon character and hit right. and it's Kyle O'Reilly's is a bit better but Dean Ambrose I always just hated that move because it was just like <laughs> so corny where he just bounces and it's like it looks like he's gonna fall out of the ring and then the rope snaps him back up it's uh it's a little silly yeah, and the fact that Barry can do that fluid move where he jumps goes through the one goes off the apron off the one comes back in the other side is pretty cool and hits the clothesline yeah and it's like it's lickety split. It's within a few seconds. And yeah. And also I think part of it is part of his move set that works is that he has that, like he's kind of more ground based, not in a submission way, but just like ground and pound kind of brawler and him being a gold glove boxer, his punches actually look good. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, I'm surprised they haven't actually incorporated that more into his persona because he does throw really, Obviously, he's boxed, so he throws really good punches. Right, and it's weird because some people just don't do that. You think it would be a very basic wrestling thing, but various wrestlers are just not good at throwing punches that even pretend to look real. I guess we should say that for those who are not aware, modern wrestling fandom is very much like we understand it's all scripted at everything. And that they're not actually punching each other and that they're trying to actually protect each other and not hurt each other. But it's kind of enjoying the things in it that people execute really well. So, you know, we're not looking for punches that outside of like New Japan sometimes and like Minoru Suzuki where you're like, oh, you're actually just hitting the person. Um, you're usually not looking for that, but still some people like Shane McMahon, MMA trains, but his punches look like, like in a cartoon, like the if there's a little guy who's like, let me at him. Like, like 1930s style boxing. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm but just going to rabbit punch you with these yeah, yeah. fists and I'm going to move a good three inches the whole time. But yeah, Corbin doesn't have that problem at all. Those are, you know, those are two points that kind of intersect each other that his finisher is awesome and protected and his movesets much stronger. And it really gives, I think, a floor to his matches. So he might not have the, you know, the he doesn't have any of the five star matches. And, you know, we both binged some Corbin to prepare for this. And his matches are not like Kenny Omega versus Kazuchika Okada in, at Wrestle Kingdom where you're like, oh, my gosh, this is transcendent level athleticism and storytelling in ring, but there's a floor to Baron Corbin's matches. That's pretty high 
where you're like, oh, yeah, you're at I mean, least going to get a solid match because he's got all these things in it. I was going to say, because, yeah, you were say like, even looking at his star ratings, like, I don't think he had one below, like, maybe, maybe he had a couple half stars that were multi-man matches, but I think in general, he's between the two, the two to four, usually. Right. He's just a very consistent performer, and his moveset is a big part of that. That even if you're thinking, oh, this is boring, you're like, oh, wait, those four spots were cool. Even if I didn't love this match or why this match was the story behind this match. But getting into beyond just the in-ring stuff, your third point is? Uh, Yeah, so his gimmick, which has consistently kind of changed, but he's basically been a bad guy, as Seth pointed out in the intro, for most of his time in WWE slash NXT. It's basically evolved from, like, lone wolf metal guy to main roster lone lone wolf metal guy to then he was appointed general manager of raw which he then became a little bit more in power which was where the constable corbin thing came in and then he won king of the ring and now he's king corbin but he still asserted this like especially since constable corbin on he's asserted like he knows he's like the most hated man wwe and he like owns it and that's part of what makes his gimmick so cool and his being a heel is so cool is he knows he's hated by these people and he plays up to it and not in like the cool heel way. Like people like Adam Cole on NXT, like, or even Ciampa or even Johnny Gargano right now, people, they know that they're supposed to be heels and they're supposed to hate it. The people love them because they're cool. But Baron Corbin is not, does not have that it factor, I guess. Right. So he's very much the eighties. He's still pretty much the eighties type of heel, which is great. It works great for him. So, yeah, that's one thing that probably garners some explanation. So in the old, like, kind of in the 80s or, you know, even going way farther back when a lot more people were like, oh, didn't realize wrestling was pre-scripted, there was a lot more buy-in to, oh, these are the good guys we're supposed to cheer. They're telling us who to cheer and they're telling us who to hate. And we are going along with that because it makes sense. All these foreign monsters are trying to beat up Hulk Hogan well Hulk Hogan waves the U.S. flag and he's the good guy and he's always doing the smart thing so we're going to cheer for him and then as things have progressed sort of in the postmodern era when fans know it's fake it's harder for the wrestling companies to tell storylines because there's such thing as a cool heel now. As I say, especially when the heel, the reason the heel is the bad guy is like you actually agree with him. Right. There's a lot more of that. But so this isn't like super new. Like in the 90s, there were factions like the NWO who were like the bad guys, but they were, you know, kind of cool and rock and roll and didn't care about authority or, you know, things like that. Or even before that, there were people like Macho Man, Randy Savage, or Ric Flair who were clearly the bad guys, and you were supposed to boo them, but like they were also like the best. So you're like, ah, that guy's cool. Like Ric Flair's talking better than everybody, and ah, like I know I'm supposed to cheer for the other guy. I'm supposed to cheer for Babyface Sting, but like Ric Flair's so cool. And then even after that, characters like Eddie Guerrero were beloved, and his like catchphrase was lie, cheat, steal. And he was cheating all the time, but in like fun ways where you would be like, ah, that, that scamp, he took off his boot and that's how he won or something like that. So you 
charisma would often overcome the heel distinction so that they would cheer the bad guys. And that's become even more the case in the sort of indie era of mainstream pro wrestling in part because WWE has pushed guys as such white meat baby faces that the fans rejected specifically Roman Reigns and John Cena were these big buff. I always do good. Cheer me. I mean, they basically were trying to create the next Hulk Hogan. And in some ways they did with John Cena. Yeah. John Cena worked. It it worked, but it also like turned off a lot of people. Like he was always the good guy. And like half the crowd was like, Cena sucks because yeah. the baby face, because being just a pure white baby face forever and like always being good and always overcoming the obstacles is very boring and gets tired. So you're like, ah, I want this bad guy. Who's like actually cool to come in and beat him up. So like you have a guy like a CM Punk might be the heel, but he's actually talking to you in a way that's closer to like a human would talk to you. Basically since the pipe bomb, and the indification of WWE, it really has been to like the cool heel and push the cool heel a lot more. Right. And factions overseas, like the Bullet Club and things like that, again, made cheering villains cool. For reference, the pipe bomb, if you want to look it up, is a promo that CM Punk cut on a Monday Night Raw where he basically just broke the fourth wall and called WWE on like some of their crap and was talking to his indie wrestling friends. And it kind of like, was just very real it's was a shoot as they say where it's actually real even though it's set up he was just saying like actual real things and like calling wd we out for their like hypocrisy on bullying campaigns and things like that but yeah so anyway that was a long way to say that basically it's super hard now to be an actual heel because actual heels end up getting cheered. Like there was a huge, you mentioned Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano, who are NXT people. They had a huge long rivalry. And I think this is kind of a turning point for NXT where Johnny Gargano was clearly the baby face. He had been turned on by his tag team partner. And eventually people started cheering more for Ciampa because they were just like kind of sick of the baby faceness of it. And up to that point, NXT was weirdly for a long time the bastion of like, we're going to like treat it old school and we're just going to cheer the good guys and boo the bad guys. Even if even if the bad guys are cool, we're going to keep that line. And that essentially seemed to break it about that point. But Baron Corbin is somebody who you're supposed to boo. The fans are supposed to boo. They're supposed to hate. And they actually do. And there's not like a internet wrestling community of like, actually we're cheering for this you know like yeah in, in most matches now it's hard it's hard to be you know when there were fans it was hard to encounter a match where there wasn't at least some like even if it wasn't 50 50 maybe like 70 30 chanting where at least like a third of the crowd would maybe chant for the bad guy even if they were clearly the bad guy and you weren't supposed to be cheering for them at all that doesn't happen with Baron Corbin. Yeah, I mean, you, you and I have experienced it live together when we went to Stomping Ground and saw Baron. Yeah, there was a there was a pay per view that we went to in Tacoma, where yeah, it was Baron Corbin versus Seth Rollins, 
and nobody was on board for cheering Baron Corbin to be like counterintuitive and be like, actually, we're cheering for these. It's like, no, we're all on board. Meanwhile, in that same pay-per-view, there was a Daniel Bryan and Eric Rowan tag team match against Heavy Machinery, who were Heavy Machinery was clearly the babyface in that match. And Daniel Bryan was doing awesome heel work, but it was in Washington State, which is Daniel Bryan's like home stomping ground. Literally did not mean to do that. <laughs> but the whole crowd was behind the bad guys because yeah. they were the hometown heroes. So it was it didn't matter that the other team was likable good guys. It was like, no, we are cheering for the bad guys because we like them more. Baron Corbin has literally never encountered that in his WWE career. No, basically, that's the type of heel he is. He literally, as you mentioned, the awards he's won, like most overrated and most hated wrestler. I understand the most hated because he's actually a little heel. But I think people hate on him because he is boring. I mean, that's why the boring. I mean, he's not, I don't think he's boring, but the, that's the, because it's the knock everything him, plays right. in. Yeah, but he's an average guy. He's two to four star like wrestler. In baseball, you want someone that can be that consistent. You know, you look at other sports. Like, if you hit a guy that hits jump shots consistently, that's what you want on your team. Right. It's he's He doesn't have the flash. The weird thing is he does have the flash, but they just don't, like, consider, like, the deep six or his sliding it out or the end of days, like, cool enough. Because that's also part of it, like, built into wrestling psychology especially the indification of it is that it's harder to boo a guy when he's doing really cool moves like that's part of it is and so many guys especially bigger guys now it's like oh he's doing this awesome move where he jumps off the top rope and slams into a bunch of guys or he's you know like kevin owens when he's a heel it's like ah he's got the pop-up power bomb and he's doing swantons and frog splashes and all this stuff and you're like oh like i know he's i'm supposed to not cheer for that but like how do i not cheer for that and corbin doesn't do that like part of his blandness of offense keeps his heel persona protected and the outside the ring like as the gimmick like when he was constable corbin he owned it he like i said he was very much into (laughs) being the authority figure you know, using his power to make matches and to, you know, keep people that he hate, you know, whoever he was in his feuds with down or whatever, uh, you know, had his, his, he's always had his minions, both now as King Corbin and, and Constable Corbin, which I think says a lot too, that these people consistently work with him. Like you never, you don't really hear, mostly you don't hear whispers from the locker room that Baron Corbin's a bad guy to work with. Right. So, and also, you know, part of it, you mentioned the constable role is that he's also a very good talker, but not in, a, again, it's not in the flashy way where you're like, yeah, he's cutting exactly. promos that you're like on board with. It's just like he has a delivery. He doesn't screw up his promos a lot. He could talk, they could set him out there with a microphone and he could talk for five minutes and, and, be smarmy enough to be like, ah, smarmy is the right word. That's the word I was trying to figure in my, find in my head. Yes. Right. He's just, and it's just so easy to be like, ah, this is dumb. Like, I hate this guy. He's making like, he makes bad jokes, but they're like supposed to be bad joke. Like 
you're not supposed to think he's like killing it when he's like making fun of like Chad Gable as being short. You're like, oh, these jokes are so dumb. I like hate this. And like when he had his before he shaved his head, you're like, oh, like his hair is gross. And like it's like, oh, like just shave your head. It looks dumb. And I hate your like stupid. He's got a very good he's got a very good like stupid bad guy smirk. He's yeah, just like, uh, he yeah. literally is henchman number three or henchman number one. Like, he's got that look, which I'm actually shocked they haven't cast him in movies yet because he would totally be good enough to fit the role of, like, a bad guy, of someone else's bad guy. Right. It's He's got, he just has this persona where you're like, uh, like, it's the person, like, your friend invites over for a party and you're like, uh, this guy kind of sucks. Like, but you don't, like, you don't He's not annoying. He doesn't reach the point where it's going either way, where you're like, hey, get the heck out of here, or like suddenly warm to it. It's just like, ah, oh. it just, he's relentless in his like middlingness in a way that really works because you need that to be an actual heel. And again, there just like aren't actual heels now. Yeah. And I, as someone who grew up and watching wrestling in the 80s and 90s, especially like, Southern wrestling, WCW, and you know, I didn't really watch Memphis. I've watched a lot now, but like that type of heel, he 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 would fit perfectly on you know Jim Crocker Productions, WCW. You know, he probably would have been managed by someone like, unfortunately, Jim Cornette, who's a terrible person. But like, he fits what what we would consider a traditional like that style of heel that would be great in like the Southern wrestling territories of the eighties. Right, and he also toes the line like it's it's hard because he he approaches the line of what some people have referred to as like X-Pac heat, which is yes. heat is, is the wrestling term for like bad reaction, which is usually a good thing. But X-Pac heat was what people would describe basically when there was a run where X-Pac was very not liked and it was X-Pac heat, AKA turn off the TV heat where you're just like, I don't want to see you, this nuclear heat, nuclear go away heat. Yeah. Like you hate it so much. You turn off the TV. You want heat where you're like, Oh, like you're gritting it. And you're like, Oh, I just don't do it. You don't want heat where you're like, okay, this is the time where I'm going to the bathroom during this show. Yeah. And the thing about heat, like, so this is the thing about Baron Corbin is you want Baron Corbin to get his comeuppance. Mm-hmm. Like that, the borderline heat there. Yes. He's had the go away heat, but like as a good heel, you want to watch the heel get his comeuppance. So every time Baron Corbin loses, you're like, yay, this is awesome. Right. Which I think is the, the perfect heel, and that's why I love Baron Corbin as a heel, because he does that so well. It's like, I hate this guy so much. I'm going to continue to watch him because he's fascinating, <laughs> but I want him to get beat up right. a lot. And I, I think there's also, just re-watching as we were watching some of the matches, there's this back-of-the-mind respect that I think some fans have for him that they would not admit to having just because watching when he won money in the bank and when he won the u.s championship he actually got like a little pop for both of those like the crowd like stands on their feet and is like cheering and then like a second later it's like oh you see a bunch of people just like walking out and being like <laughs> yeah, you're like oh ah. no, we can't be doing this they're like ah they're like oh cool like somebody new is in this position and then they're like ah it's baron corbin oh <laughs> dang it i was like excited to see somebody new get this shot and then it's like ah but it's Baron Corbin and that's like the perfect perfect spot to be at yeah and I think that really plays into the next point that like 
who he is, he he can work well with anyone. Yeah, your fourth point is that that he works well with just the whole roster. He works well with pretty much anyone on the roster. Big, small, whatever, you can put him wherever. Mm-hmm. If you want to promote this person as a baby face, usually that's, you know, he, he's a great person to match with because you know he's going to get booed. So if you want someone to get cheered, you can definitely put... Yeah, he's le- almost like a breaking case of emergency, get some guy, baby face support. I mean, I hate to use the word jobber to the stars, so I don't feel like he's that, but he definitely is a good stepping stone to the main title scene. Mm-hmm. And he himself has competed, obviously, for some of the major titles and lost all of them. <laughs> right. But other than the U.S. Championship, which isn't, a, I don't consider a major title, but. Yeah. So I think we mentioned this, that he's basically just like the perfect mid-card heel right now. And mid-card yes. for the non-wrestling fans, it's like the top of the card is anybody who's competing for the like championship. So it'd be the guys like the Roman Reigns and the John Cena's and the Daniel Bryan's of the world. The world heavyweight belt or the world title. And the mid card is just like, because there's always got to be multiple levels of storyline. And it's either for the lower belts, the intercontinental or US titles, or it's just, we need more storylines. So like, let's, you know, come up with a storyline where it's Chad Cable fighting Baron Corbin because Corbin keeps making fun of him, how he's short or basically the exact same thing with Kalisto that goes into the thing you were talking about in terms of not only can he be paired in a program, like a long-term story with different people, but also just in ring, he works really well with a lot of different people because he's big enough so that he can always bully the little guys, but also he's not, so massive that he seems like he should be unbeatable and he can also get just thrown around by the super big guys. Yeah. I mean, you could pair him with a Braun Strowman or yeah, or Drew. Yeah. Like in the shield goodbye match, it was him tagging with Drew McIntyre and Bobby Lashley who are just all massive guys. And it was like, Oh, well we're going to have this team of massive guys that the, shield has to overcome and you're like oh yeah he works in that role but then he can also be thrown around by any of those guys but is enough of a impediment to not be thrown around by Rey Mysterio or whatever you were mentioning like you work with like Kalisto and Chad Gable and stuff and Rey Mysterio but I think about the fact that he's challenged for so many titles he's wrestled John Cena he's wrestled Roman Reigns He's wrestled Ginger Mahal. Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins. Like, he's not wrestling the low Carters. You know, he's not wrestling a Brian Myers. Oh, sorry, Matt Cardona, Brian Myers. Uh, sorry, Kurt Hawkins or uh, Zach Ryder. <laughs> so many names you know, when people get released from WWE. You know, he wasn't wrestling those type of wrestlers. He's always been in the mid, mid to upper card, which says a lot about how people backstage actually view his work, which I think... I don't think fans realize because he's not getting, if he was actually a terrible person or people didn't like him, you know, he would be on main event. Right. There's a lot of people that have been, that have been more beloved that get shoved off to the side. And I think we might come to that point when we get to the next point, but. um, Yeah. But like he didn't get the Zack Ryder treatment really. Right. He's never, he's never been not at least had a substantial thing in the mid card and even some of the top guys will fade away for a while and you're like where are they but yeah like even drew mcintyre got released at one point jinder obviously got released they were both in a lower card you know with Heath slater 
which we'll come to the part later on that's interesting that Baron Corbin also tagged with Rhino at one point. Right. So, and when Baron won Money in the Bank, I really thought that was going to be, I was actually like, okay, that's good. This is interesting. Because, you know, usually that's the crowning achievement. If you win that, you're going to be the next world champion. Right. For those who aren't familiar, when people win Money in the Bank and then cash it in, it's probably, I think, I don't have the stats. It's probably like 70 or 80% are successful cash-ins. There's only been like, five or six unsuccessful cash-ins every ever. So it's like almost a guarantee that you will become world champion if you win the money in the bank. Unfortunately, it sounded like he did lose it because of some backstage politics when he might not have been in the right. So if we're going to talk about outside the wrestling, you yeah, know, yeah. I mean, ring, it's, it's all fair game. I know. Let's <laughs> talk some insider baseball here. Um, that's the one time that you can't be like, oh, okay, you can't really support Baron Corbin. It's like, okay, well, I don't know what you did backstage to piss someone off. Sometimes you piss off the veterans and stuff happens. Right. There's a lot of meandering and, you know, just oftentimes dumb BS backstage where it's like, oh, this guy didn't, this younger guy didn't pick up my bags right or looked at me the wrong way or wasn't shaking everybody's hand right. And then that means somehow you don't get like a title i mean and he won the he debuted by winning the andre memorial battle yeah i think the first that was it the first one i think i i'm not sure if it was the first one it, yeah but he first night on the big brand he is wrestlemania and he wins in a big match against a lot of other people and the andre the giant doesn't have the most clout because you don't get like a title shot or anything but it's still oh, he, he won the third one right C- cesaro is the one that won the first one and I think he's also finished second once. I think he, yeah, he was second, second the year to Matt that Hardy. Yeah, Matt Hardy won it. Yeah. So. Oh, man, I'm just looking at the year after that. That's the year that Colin Jost and Michael Che were in the sixth. <laughs> wrestling. <laughs> wrestling. But, yeah, so, like, he's really he's really been consistent on where his place is in the card, which I says, think says a lot to that we've talked about. His consistency is actually what's key to why people should actually support Baron Corbin. It's the same thing about Randy Orton. I mean, Randy Orton's been entitled mostly because he's also very consistent. I'd also say Baron Corbin seems like a safe worker. You don't see many people get injured with him, which I think is also important when you're a consistent wrestling. Right. I think I think actually that the Corbin-Randy Orton comparison is pretty good. I think Orton has higher peaks like on the mic and can kind of get more into a little bit more into psychology. But I find Randy Orton's matches super boring he's had yeah. like he's had like four or five matches that i even marginally cared about in the past like 10 years yeah the last 10 years especially but between you and ryan i think i'm in the middle i think there's more matches i've enjoyed than you have right shout out to our friend ryan again who loves randy Orton. yes ryan brady he just works with everyone and then and the different types of matches like we said the battle royals the men in the bank he was in yeah, he's a really good multi-man match match wrestler, and you realized like as you as I was like writing the intro and going through, it's like oh, he's in triple threat matches like a crazy like all of his title matches are like triple threat. And matches. And he doesn't almost. always take the pin in the triple threats either. No, like a lot of times he will, but he's protected sometimes in that way too. Yeah, to keep him from ever falling that far down the card. You know, they they like to say in WWE that wins and losses don't really matter, but they do. <laughs> and when you when you see Bray Wyatt getting pinned all the time, you're like, ah, well, I thought he was a world champion type guy, but he keeps losing every match. Or Rusev. Well, I think or... he, him and Baron Corbin actually have suffered similar fates in that 
they take a lot more pins than maybe they should, but mm-hmm. but Bray has the cooler gimmick. I think that's really what it Bray's is. Bray's always ha- had multiple gimmicks, and they're always cooler than Corbin's. And the and he and he's. I mean, Bray's a more, I think, naturally charismatic person. But again, part of Corbin is that he's not supposed to be charismatic. Yeah, we talked about the the Falls Count Anywhere match at. Royal Rumble with Roman Reigns and him was really, really good. Yeah, that was 2020's Royal Rumble match in Houston. And it's, they go all around the arena. And again, it's the thing where you're talking about how, like, that was Roman Reigns after he'd come back from leukemia, right? Yes. So he, he had a lot of, he was no longer getting booed as much for being the good guy. But still, when... Roman Reigns ends up winning that match, giving him a spear on top of the dugout and pinning him. The crowd just watching like that with you and be like, yeah. The crowd's just going like nuts. They're like, yeah, that guy we hate. He he lost. Yeah. And even though I mean, the we match had like together. no stakes, it was like the storyline was built up with like Corbin handcuffing him to the ring post and pouring like dog food on him because Roman Reigns is the big dog was his character and it's like i'm gonna smear dog food all over you and that's gonna be enough to have a royal rumble falls count anywhere match well they also had the survivor series fallout because they were on the same team yeah and roman speared him at survivor series as well right but that was i mean i just think about that match like okay yeah corbin you know taking the spear on top of the dugout was pretty cool it's a good falls count anywhere match i mean falls count anywhere I think has a little bit higher floor than most matches, especially when you're in like a crazy crowd and watching that now when there hasn't been real crowds, except for WrestleMania for over a year, it's like, ah, it's so great to see the crowd reaction because that's such a big part of wrestling. And that's, and Corbin being able to garner so many boos at so many different spots or get that heat is this year of no crowds may have been the hardest for Baron Corbin to be a heel. But right. the King Corbin gimmick is still, I think now that him and Shin are going to feud, I think, and that crowds are coming back a little bit, I think that's really going to help. That's going to be a very fun feud. Yeah, it seems like they're going to feud over, because Shinsuke Nakamura is, his title has always been the King of Strong Style, like hard-hitting Japanese wrestling, and then King Corbin was the king because he won King of the Ring, so they might just feud over the King title. Yet again, that's another thing. He won King of the Ring, which is a, not as prestigious as it was when it was first developed. But yet again, it's still a pretty... People who've won King of the Ring in the past include Stone Cold Steve Austin and Bret Hart. Right. Like Stone Cold, like his character essentially launched at King of the Ring. The Austin 316 promo was at King of the Ring after he won. And yeah, it's just... It was a very smart move by them to keep Corbin's character fresh because it was sort of a gimmick reboot without having to change much of anything. He just got to be like more arrogant and wear a stupid crown and carry a I was going to say, he basically stole uh, Seth Rollins' King of the North gimmick, though. Yeah. I mean, there's there's <laughs> been a few guys, and even King of the Ring specifically, like Randy Savage was the macho king for a while, and yeah. Booker T was King, king Booker, Booker <laughs> whereas other guys who won it, it wasn't like, Stone Cold was running around with a crown for six months after that. It was just like, no, nah. I'm just laughing that Seth was basically doing like a, you know, King of the North, Jon Snow. Yeah. Gimmick right before and then, or I guess like a year and a half before and then King Corbin's kind of doing a similar thing with the, the robes and the. 
Yeah, and even that Roman Reigns Falls Count Anyway Royal Rumble match we were talking about, he was carried to the ring on a throne by like six guys, and then Roman started the match by beating up the people carrying the. But when we're talking pedestal. about it too, it's like we haven't really talked about his NXT run, which I think is unfairly maligned. Okay, so that's your fifth point in defense of Corbin, which is that his NXT run is underrated in your mind. Yeah. I mean, you look at the people he wrestled in NXT. Let's look yet again. He wrestles Finn Balor a lot. He wrestled Sami Zayn. He wrestled Samoa Joe. He wrestled Apollo. Apollo Cruz. He beat uh, his first big thing in NXT was he beat Bull Dempsey, who d- destroyed his undefeated streak. Who isn't that great of a? I mean, that's not a big name anymore. But, but at like, the time, he, they, they were running an undefeated gimmick with him, and yeah. he put that down and i mean when you hear names like finn balor and samoa joe you think world champions and the fact that he went toe-to-toe with those guys a lot was a pretty big deal yeah it was interesting how he was set up so as i described earlier there's the nxt is usually either the guys that are developmental who are basically the people just learning how to do professional wrestling they might be like former athletes or gymnasts or whatever that it's just them training. And then there's the people that they bring in the indie stars and the foreign stars, the guys like Samoa Joe and Finn Balor. And usually those are the guys that get to the top of the card. And it's less the people that they've developed along the way. And Corbin, and even that was part of his gimmick in NXT, like when he was feuding with Samoa Joe, is just like all these guys, they're bringing in all these hot shots. But I'm, I'm like the in a weird way, like the NXT OG. Like I actually had to work here and like build up while these guys just get to come in and get title shots right away. And it's one of those things. It's kind of one of those heel gimmicks where you're like, Oh wait, you're actually right. And he is the actual NXT product. NXT, but this is before NXT crowds were not keen to cheering cool heels. Right. He was always, even though he was, I would definitely say he had a cooler persona in NXT than he does at any point in WWE, but he was still just getting booed pretty much the whole time. Yeah. Nobody was cheering for him in his NXT takeover match versus Samoa Joe and his match takeover match against Apollo Crews. They weren't really cheering either, either person, but that was more a knock on Apollo Crews having absolutely no character until literally like, three months ago now <laughs> right they, they're just like oh this guy's really athletic and can do flips and stuff like that let's just hot shot him and never really build him even in nxt and it's just like that was a horrible decision but that's not corbin's fault no and corbin his tag team with rhino was interesting because they were like against each other they and were then rivals the and then a, like a thrown together tag team and then they made it to the finals and then lost to finn balor and samojo which was also a thrown together tag team which also, that's just crazy to think that Samoa Joe and Finn Balor were like tag partners. Yeah, that was interesting. That was the first Dusty Cup, uh, which is yes. like a yearly tag team tournament that NXT has. And both those teams beat like amazing tag teams. I mean, Corbin and Rhino beat DIY Gargano and Champa on the way. They, they beat a lot. So they beat DIY, who was Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano. But that was kind of like before they were like established NXT people. They were... They were the guys that were showing up every week and just being like, oh, that's really good, but they weren't actually signed. And you'd be like, oh, they were sort of like awesome jobbers. And you're like, wait, this guy's cool. 
very good indie wrestlers. Right, who were brought in to like fill yeah. out shows. And they beat uh, I think they beat the Ascension in the first round. Yeah. Who was the like first like great quote unquote NXT tag team and then just totally flopped on the main roster. And then and the, that's why I was saying interesting. The, the semifinals was them versus American Alpha. So that's what I was going to say. In that first Dusty, it was they in the first one, both the semifinals and the finals were on the same takeover night. And basically two thrown together tag teams beat like the two best like NXT tag teams or two of like the four best NXT tag teams ever because Rhino and Corbin beat American Alpha, which is Chad Gable and Jason Jordan, who were kind of like a Kurt Angle, like wrestling, like we're just really good wrestlers, guys. And then in the other one, Balor and Samoa Joe beat uh, The Revival or FTR now in AEW. So it was just like who are either the best or second best. I'd probably say second best tag team in NXT history behind DIY. In my yeah. opinion, in your opinion, that's for another podcast. It was a weird team, also, because like people like Rhino, who was an old school ECW guy, so it was like they weren't like totally hating on this team, even though Baron Corbin was in it. But even then, when they got to the head to head in the final of the Dusties, it was like, oh no, we want the two indie stars that everybody likes. Yeah, the New Japan star and the indie TNA Art Ring of Honor guy. Yeah. In the semifinals, I can't remember who it was on, but Rhino speared a guy and then Baron hit the end of days, which I thought was just a really cool, like... Yeah. Also, now that you mention it, there was a move that I forgot to mention that was, like, the precursor to the Deep Six, which, when we were talking about moveset, in NXT, he kind of had, like, a precursor to the Deep Six, which was sort of a spinning Uranagi. It was, like, the same spin as the Deep Six, but it was with a Uranagi instead of the guy kind of spinning up on his shoulders in a power bomb. And that was a cool move too. And he could do both probably. And it would look good. But in NXT, he did something interesting because now in NXT, there's a mid card title, the North American title. But at the time it was just take team titles, the women's title and the NXT championship. And he kind of was the first in some ways, like NXT mid Carter. Like he was, he sort of yeah. still played the same, like, heel role that he's playing now where they built him up enough at the start that he was always a legitimate threat and could be in any number one contender match or anything like that but that he also was used as that stepping stone to like break in the new people or you know it's about joe we're solidifying you as like this is a step you take before you get your title shot uh you you know you do a good match with baron corbin and then even sometimes he would still win those. Like the Apollo Crews takeover match he had was like Apollo kind of on the ascent. And it's like, no, Baron Corbin's still like the heel marking stick and you're not past him yet. Yeah. And we I don't know if you watched the match because I forgot to submit this one, but I had, when we had talked about matches before. But at one point later on, he got dual submitted. Sammy and Joe locked on their submissions at the same time on him. On like a number one, it wasn't like a number one contenders match. Or it was a number like. one contenders match, I think. Yeah. Right. So then it's just like, oh, you're you're getting sort of jobbed out, but in like a cool way, and it's still like, oh yeah, it's legit because it's Corbin. Yeah, I just think it's interesting that they both got their submissions, and I was like, okay, but those are those are huge names. I mean, 
Sammy, unfortunately, has fallen into the NXT to the main roster pipeline. That's a whole other story, too. Well, oh, yeah. So so I guess that's one of the things we should talk about when we're talking about how he was underrated in NXT. When he got called up, like, he wasn't the super-duper star. He was, you know, again, like, sort of a mid-card NXT guy. And he's successfully been a mid-card, you know, he's been very successful in WWE now on the main roster. But lots of the NXT guys suffer from they get called up and they're the hottest thing in NXT and it's like oh this person's gonna be a new world champion and they just fizzle out you know it could be the ascension the tag team that I talked about uh there's been plenty of tag teams that have not worked in NXT the villains, uh but even some of the main stars you know Finn Balor's done okay but not even as good as people thought well Injury, I think. Injury really played, really- yeah, because Finn Balor debuted as like winning the championship and then got hurt and then kind of fell off to the side. But guys like Bobby Roode was an NXT champion and is now like a lower mid card, sometimes tag guy. And even Shinsuke Nakamura has had a couple title shots, but he was like the hottest thing in wrestling when he was NXT champion. And he's now probably in WWE generally like a level below Baron Pac, Corbin. Neville. Yeah. You know, he did nothing. He basically was cruiserweight champion and when he was the main roster. And then he just bounced because he hated it. Yeah. And now he may or may not, now he's wrestling this weekend for the AEW world heavyweight championship. So yeah. So Baron Corbin, there's been a few guys. It's weird. A lot of times the NXT call-ups that would people get called up and you're like, Oh, they're calling them up actually end up to be, more successful than some of the big ones. Elias was sort of Baron Corbin adjacent in NXT two, where he was the mid card heel who never really did anything and actually had a lot more heat than Corbin did on down in NXT. But then he gets called up and his gimmick works a lot better in arenas and things like that. Or Alexa bliss didn't really do anything in NXT other than like manage a tag team and then her charisma and her mic work and her facials and her storytelling work so much better on the main roster where she's just a solidified force up there. Yeah. My main point that I just, everything that wraps up together that I want to tie together is yeah. why does Baron Corbin only have one title? I mean, yes, he has the King of the Ring, I guess, and he under and Money in the Bank, but he's literally only won the U.S. title. He's never won a tag title, which I think is interesting because I think you could put him in a tag team pretty easily. Yeah, and that's the thing. He's very rarely tagged at all other than like when, you know, WWE on weekly TV throw together like, oh, here's these two feuds or like you're going to be or a tag team. when he had underleads when him and Ziggler and Lashley or him and Ziggler and Rude were all, right? It was Ziggler, yeah, Rude, there, Yeah, there's point. been different like tiny factions he's had for like, little three or four month periods but he's never been like i'm going after i'm teaming up with somebody and we're going to try and win the tag titles but i you know there's an argument to be made that that's some of his best work because like those dusty matches are really good i know that's what i'm saying like and like also like the fact that he lost to ginger mahal for the world title like when gender we should say gender mahal was not popular was less i think probably more hated than Baron, but that was more just a circumstantial. It wasn't even like because it was character. It's just a lot of people didn't like that he was champion and kind of rebelled against it and were like, this guy sucks. He shouldn't be champion. He's not good enough. And then to lose to 
him on a roll up because John Cena like whack-a-mole popped up on the ring apron for a second and Baron Corbin went and whacked the mole and then gets rolled up. Baron Corbin loses a lot of roll up on uh, roll ups a surprising amount of time, which it's not great for him, but uh yeah, so it's you make a good point that like he's really for how consistent and solid of a character he is, he's really not had a lot of shots at anything other than these ancillary things that he's won. He's like an ancillary guy, but they don't even put they never even put the intercontinental belt on him. I mean, the US he won once, but I mean like he hasn't even had a chance to win it a second or third time, which is interesting. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it, there's a strong argument to be made. Again, I don't think when you're defending him, you're not saying that, like, oh, we should actually be cheering for him. It's just that he deserves a little bit more than he's gotten considering how consistent a performer he is. Plus, it's also really fun to be angry at a heel who has a title because, like, it's right. really fun to cheer the baby face, baby face against the heel champion. That's a great point that he would be such a good like heel world champion because everybody would hate him and nobody would be on board. And there's very few people on the roster that nobody would be on board with. Like Bobby Lashley's a heel world champion right now, but if there were consistent crowds, there'd be a lot of people cheering Bobby Lashley. Well, I mean, because he deserves to be world champion. I mean, that's part of it too. Right. But that's the thing is I think Baron Corbin in a sense probably deserves to be world champion, but he wouldn't get the respect of being deserved to win a world. No, but I think him and Drew would have a really good, if you put the belt on Baron Corbin and Drew is chasing, I think that would be a very interesting. Currently I would like to see Drew McIntyre far away from the world championship scene because he's just been the only thing in Monday night raw for like a year and a half. It feels like and it's, but maybe him and Shin, maybe Shin and Corbin will lead to some sort of, I mean, either of them have belts right now, but it'd be nice to see one of them end up with the, because the IC belt is on, is on SmackDown right now, right? Yeah. The IC belt is on. Is that Big e? no, no, that's Apollo, Apollo Crews right now. Oh yeah. But he's a, he's unfortunately a heel. Otherwise he's unfortunately Baron... a heel. The problem right now for that Corbin is in currently, as we record this, is that there are two heel champions at the top of the show that he is on on SmackDown and he is not beating Roman Reigns. No. <laughs> Just period. He's not uh, beating Apollo. And he's not beating Apollo. So one of those belts has to get off somebody or he has to switch shows for him to have a chance. Like I, I, I even like if he was over on Raw, I think there would be a chance that he could like knock off Bobby Lashley or somebody like that. But you're not going to it's not going to work with Roman, how they've built that character. And he, he, he's not even one of the random people to hold the 24 seven title. No, he's not. He's not even got one of those cheap reigns. Peter Rosenberg has, a, has more, has as many WWE champions as Tamina has now one, one more title than Baron Corbin in WWE. Right. If you don't count the King of the ring and Andre and money in the bank, I guess, but those are technically not titles. Right. Bad bunny has one more titles or as many titles <laughs> Uh, Rob Stone has won as many titles. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of the. I mean, the 24 seven. I'm using 24 seven champions. Which for those who for those unfamiliar, there's a championship that has to be defended at all times, and it's just a comedy belt. So people will just like fall down and land on top of a guy, and all of a sudden they're the champion for 
three seconds and then they get rolled up pin and then they're no longer the champion. But I just think that Baron Corbin is going to be consistent. I think he's still probably got a good, good, good road ahead of him in WWE. I don't know if, I think he's probably a WWE guy for the rest of his career, unless they release him for some reason. Right. And yeah, I think those are all five strong defenses before we bounce out of here. Is there anything you want to get off that maybe didn't fit in the categories and like the junk drawer, any other random Baron Corbin thoughts? Just the title thing was really just bothering me that. Yeah. The the one note that I wanted to say, other than like, again, it's worth pointing out that like, he seems like a very likable guy when he's not in character, a great guy backstage, but also one of my random laugh moments, unintentional was when he came up and was still doing the lone wolf gimmick. There was a episode where Mauro Ranallo was announcing and accidentally called him the Lonesome Wolf. <laughs> and I thought that, that was just like a, good... fa- a fantastic like emo gimmick that he yeah. could have pivoted to. Where he's just the sad wolf. <laughs> but yeah, uh, well, awesome. Before we head out, is there anything you would like to plug, Allison? Or anything to direct people to watch or experience or anything of your own or whatever i guess you can find me on my on twitter on alice at allison mcmanus which is a-l-y-s-o-n-m-c-m-a-n-u-s i think i'm funny uh <laughs> <laughs> that's, i tweet a lot about r- wrestling and movies and crap and well because i'm trans i tweet a lot about trans stuff too but that's mm-hmm. you know that that was a very uh heartbreak kid like delivery i think yeah. i'm cute i think i'm funny that drive the girls wild awesome well thank you again for coming on i appreciate it i appreciate any time we can talk wrestling and we might you know hop on for another one of these sometimes thanks for anybody who's stuck around who doesn't know anything about wrestling that was probably a lot for you but maybe you'll go check out some random youtube clips i believe the baron corbin Rowan Reigns match is available on YouTube. That whole one that we mentioned. I think, yeah, the John Cena one, I think is as well. Yeah. So maybe I'll throw those up on the social media platforms. Yeah. So again, thanks Allison. And remember, even if everyone else mocks it, love the stuff you love.